Welcome to the Not Old Better Show. Today's show is brought to you by Omaha Steaks and Coinbase. I'm Paul Vogelzang, and we have a highly entertaining episode today with inspirational, delightful Sharon Glass. Our guest today is Emmy Award-winning actress Sharon Glass, who tells all in our Laugh Out Loud interview all the juicy and touching details, which also come from her new memoir about her five decades in Hollywood, where she took on some of the most groundbreaking roles of her time. Anyone who has seen Sharon Glass act in Cagney and Lacey, Queer as Folk, Burn Notice, and countless other shows and movies knows that she's someone who gives every role her all. She holds nothing back in her new book, Apparently There Were Complaints, which is a hilarious, deeply personal memoir that spills all about Glass's five decades in Hollywoods. A fifth-generation Californian, Sharon Glass knew from a young age that she wanted to be an actress. After some rocky teenage years that included Sharon's parents' divorce and some minor and not-so-minor rebellion, Sharon Glass landed a coveted spot as an exclusive contract player for Universal Studios. In 1982, she stepped into the role of New York police detective Christine Cagney for the series Cagney and Lacey, which eventually reached an audience of 30 million weekly viewers and garnered Sharon Glass with two Emmy Awards. The show made history as the first hour-long drama to feature two women in leading roles. Sharon Glass continued to make history long after Cagney and Lacey was over. In 2000, she took on the role of outrageous Debbie Novotny in Queer as Folk. Her portrayal of a devoted mother to a gay son and confidant to his gay friends touched countless hearts and changed the definition of family for millions of viewers, including our families. We'll talk about everything, including Gless's new book, Apparently There Were Complaints, which, again, delves into Gless's remarkable career and explores Gless's complicated family, her struggles with alcoholism, and her fear of romantic commitment, as well as her encounters with some of Hollywood's biggest names. Our interview with Sharon Gless is brutally honest and incredibly relatable, as Sharon Gless puts it all out there for us in the same way she has lived never with moderation. Please join me in welcoming to the Not Old Better Show, the always delightful Sharon Glass. Sharon Glass, welcome to the program. Thank you, Paul. <laughs> it is great to talk to you. You got a new book out. You just have done so many things with a wonderful career. I'm excited to be talking to you. The name of the book, the title of the book is Apparently There Were Some Complaints. <laughs> I, you know, it's it's an excellent book. I've had it now, read it. It's getting great reviews. Congratulations on the book. And, you know, I have to tell you, Thank you. yes, of course, you're such a likable person, this great actor, candid, award-winning, independent. And so I got to thinking about the title. You know, if there were so many complaints, you know, who, who is it that's going to complain about Sharon Glass, I guess? You know, why would anybody complain? About <laughs> oh, there were plenty. <laughs> Actually, I came by the title. Um before I began the book. I knew I was going to be doing it. I knew I was going to be doing the book. But um, I didn't know how to start. And I started with the title, which is something that was... I, I was in Hazleton, a drug and alcohol rehab center. 
many, many, many years ago, and it was a big scandal at the time. And when I got out, it's the Harvard of the rehab. Um, <laughs> When I got out, a friend approached me and she said, you were in Hazleton? And I said, yeah, I was. And she said, why were you in Hazleton? And I tried to make light of it. And I said, apparently there were complaints. (laughs) (laughs) I thought it fit perfectly. That's great. And my husband, who was not my husband, yeah, my husband was not my husband. And I burst out laughing (laughs) because it was sort of the perfect, perfect response. to that question. And, um, I've just always kept it is just this sidekick moment of mine. And when I was offered the book deal by Simon Schuster, I, I decided that I needed a title. I said, what am I going to write about? And I remembered that apparently there were complaints and I thought, well, I've got plenty of those. <laughs> so that's, how it was born. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a good story. That's really good. I mean, I'm laughing now yes. because it is a funny title, um, but some of the complaints were not so funny. At the time, I'm sure, but it's meant for a wonderful book. And, and I wonder, you know, throughout a memoir, you, you revisit the past a bit. Was that helpful to you, you know, in terms of your life today? Oh, I had to. I had to visit the past in order to write this book. Um, uh, has it helped me today? Sure. Um, I have a, you know, deeper perspective on, on my life. I don't know if it's shaping my future, but I can take it, you know, whatever, whatever they want to dish out. I can take it. While a dear friend of mine, when I first met her, started writing down a list of stories over the years that I used to tell her just just to pass the time, you know. And um, she, when Simon and Schuster offered me uh, the book and I said how it was going to go, um, my friend passed me the list that she'd been listening to all those years. And I never knew she was taking notes. So there were plenty of ideas on the on on the on the on the notes you know that she was taking, but to be honest with you, it's not hard to not remember the complaints about you as a child, the complaints about you as a teenager, the complaints about you in boarding school, the complaints about your size uh in boarding school and in my industry, they're, they're as fresh as yesterday. And hopefully I made some of them funny, but it wasn't all that. Well, yeah, I can, I can imagine it. There, there were some tough moments and, and, and you write about those in, in the book. I, I, you refer to your childhood a, a bit here in the, the last answer and I, I have to tell you, I love the pictures in the book. There's one which is my favorite. It, it's you, your mother and your grandmother holding you and your brother as infants. And I've got to tell you, your mother and your grandmother, they're just, they're just beaming. And your grandmother, you, you call her Grimmy. She really plays a significant role in your life, but it's complicated as, as uh, relationships often are. So maybe tell us a little bit about your grandmother and, and why you feel so strongly about her. Um, she was, I would say, I love my mother dearly, please know that, but my grandmother was the most powerful woman in my life. 
um, she had a vision for me. She was a very impressive woman herself, had been um, married to a very famous lawyer in Hollywood. She had uh, four children. She wanted me to follow suit and contribute to society um, in, a, in a philanthropic way, but make my own money to do it. You know, I'm saying don't use her money to do it. But she wanted me to join the Junior League. She she had all these uh, dreams for me. And, and it just wasn't, it was not I. And um, I, I, I couldn't do the things that I was being bred for, trained for, that my mother had already done and my aunts. And I was raised in a kind of a fancy schmancy area of L.A. in my grandmother's home. And honestly, uh, Paul, I, I was very fortunate to be raised that way. But um, when there are purse strings attached, you got to dance. And I just couldn't. I tried. Oh, I tried so, so hard. You know, everybody wants to be loved, right? I tried to be everything that she wanted me to be. I just. I just couldn't do it. Um, but anyway, I, I became an actress, which was frowned upon. Where I lived in L.A., actors weren't allowed to live there. It was called, it's called Hancock Park. And they wouldn't allow actors to to to, uh, to live in Hancock Park. Now actors are flying to Hancock Park, you know. But, and I don't live there anymore. But, um there were just sort of things, there were rules about what one does and what one doesn't do. And um, I tried, I tried so hard to walk that line. I wasn't rebellious. I just couldn't deliver. <laughs> Thank you for that. I, As I say, I, I do, I love the, the, the beautiful uh, black and white pictures. And you talk a little bit about, um, you know, some of the scars I know from my own history, I, I was, I was heavy as a boy. And you talk about <laughs> your time at Santa Canalina school for girls, right. that life had lost its luster a little bit. Well, Tell us a little bit about what you mean by that. I wanted to go away to boarding school. It just, I was a teenager and, and, and this teacher I really loved at Marlboro school in Los Angeles, she'd gone away to boarding school and, you know, I was 13, and that's what I wanted. Um, and my, I told my mother I wanted to go away to boarding school. Of course, she'd say no. And this time she said, let me talk to your grandmother about it. Well, that was as good as a yes. <laughs> um, or let me think about it. Um, and it turned out I was sent away to boarding school. And it turned out it was because my parents were getting a divorce. And me being the only girl, I had two brothers, and I was the, uh, you know, I was fourteen, and I adored my father, and they were just trying to spare me. Uh, what was about to happen? Uh, and so I was put on a train and sent up to this very fancy boarding school, <laughs> and uh, my father was moved out, and and um, anyway, everything changed. And I was about fourteen. Everything changed. My my dad was gone. 
my brother was going into college. My little brother was so much younger than I that he was being moved up to Carmel to be raised by my mother in another town. And just everything I knew was ending. Mm-hmm. That's just that's just those years. Yeah. yeah, those are always challenging years, you know. And um... oh, and there were I'm sorry, and there were complaints about how I handled it. There were complaints about how I conducted myself as a result of this uh, bad news. So, <laughs> what were what were some of those complaints? Oh, my mother! I started. I put my head on my mom's lap uh, in the car when I came back from boarding school, and she told me, "Your father's gone. We're separating." And and I I started crying, and she just said, "Sharon, sit up. It's time you grew up." And I had a really cool mom, but but um, I was asked to get over it. <laughs> and it sounds like, oh, poor Sharon, I don't mean it that way. Please, no. I had such a fortunate life. But you're 14, and your father's gone, and you don't think you'll ever see him again. And your mother and your grandmother are angry at you, and then you're put back in the boarding school again. And... You, um, that's just, it's, it's a minuscule part of my book, but it, it is uh, an example of, uh, the complaints about me and how I had to, uh, what I did to change and to adjust and to grow and, and you have to eventually earn your own money. Always be grateful, of course, to your parents and your grandparents, whoever funding your career. But you have to have the power of your own money so that you can do your own thing. Well, we are officially in the holiday spirits here at our house. Thanksgiving was great, and it's in the rear view mirror now. With great joy, we are excited about the upcoming holidays, which will be filled with family, love, food, and wonderful memories to be created. My memories are often of family, but also about the perfect gift, whether given or received. As a matter of fact, if you're still thinking about gift giving, which can be tricky for lots of people, Omaha Steaks makes it super easy to send friends and family an unforgettable gift guaranteed to be loved. Go to omahasteaks.com and enter NOB into the search bar and save 50% when you order the perfect gift package today is $99.99 and you'll get delicious butchers cut top sirloins, chicken breasts, sides, desserts, and so much more. Remember, use the code NOB and you'll not only save 50%, but you'll also get an additional eight Omaha steak burgers free with your order. Order the perfect gift package today at omahasteaks.com. Don't forget, you'll get eight free burgers when you enter the code NOB in the search bar. Achieve gifting greatness with Omaha Steaks. Incredible flavor, incredible value, and 100% guaranteed. That's omahasteaks.com, keyword NOB. Thanks, everybody. You know, everyone in the Not Old Better Show audience knows 
that we have to keep growing. We have to keep learning. We have to stay curious in order to stay sharp. We also need to stay abreast of our finances. Before we rejoin today's conversation, I want to thank Coinbase for sponsoring our show today. Coinbase is a platform for buying, selling, earning, and learning about cryptocurrency. Coinbase is a secure and beginner-friendly platform for users to start and continue their cryptocurrency journey. You know, if you've thought about entering the world of cryptocurrency but felt a little overwhelmed, well, (laughs) join me. (laughs) And I'll tell you that Coinbase makes learning to buy and sell cryptocurrency absolutely simple. Coinbase believes that everyone everywhere should learn about cryptocurrency, whether you've been trading, investing, and buying securities for years, or you're just getting started. Coinbase can help. For example, I've learned that crypto can be used to advance meaningful personal goals or life milestones, which is exactly how I use it. But I suggest learning about it first at Coinbase with their easy-to-learn system, tutorials, and ways to reward your learning with free quizzes that pay you. That's right, pay you. You got to check this out. And Coinbase makes it quick and easy to start your own portfolio and learn to trade like a pro. If you've been looking to level up your financial portfolio, balance, and to diversify, why not think about cryptocurrency through Coinbase? Coinbase is one of the largest cryptocurrency exchanges in the world with 7.4 million monthly users, 2,700 employees, and over 80 cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin that are all traded on its platform. And it survived and thrived in the crypto market and has steadily built an amazing user base, including me. (laughs) Coinbase keeps your portfolio safe and secure while adding crypto into your mix. Now, for a limited time, new users can get $10 in free Bitcoin when you sign up today at coinbase.com slash N-O-B. All this will be in our show notes. But remember, sign up at Coinbase today for coinbase.com slash N-O-B and you get $10 in free Bitcoin. This offer is for a limited time only, so be sure to sign up today. That's coinbase.com slash N-O-B. Thanks, everybody. And now back to our program today. Welcome back, everybody, and Happy New Year. We are with Sharon Glass today, actor, activist, wonderful, delightful person, and author of the new book, Apparently There Were Complaints. Let's talk a little bit about, because you certainly turn things around, and, 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 and I want to talk a little bit about Cagney and Lacey. There was just this instant chemistry between the two of you, and you had this really kind of interesting first reading of the script for Cagney and Lacey. I just thought that was a, a wonderful story, because it's a story that it totally makes sense today, but it was kind of unusual at the time to approach the script and rehearse it a little bit prior to walking into that first reading. Yeah. You did that. And that just clicked. And the rest, of course, is just that wonderful Cagney and Lacey history. So tell us a little bit about that story. What led you to that kind of that decision well, to work, to work, you know, in advance with time to, to, to do the reading together for the mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um, well, mm-hmm. time. And I had been now put together. I was the third Cagney. So there was a lot riding on that show. If, if the chemistry between Tyne and me didn't work, it was over. Tyne had already had to, uh, Cagneys. And I think I was sort of the, I say this with modesty, the great white hope that maybe, maybe, maybe Sharon in time can pull it off. 
they were complicated characters. Anyway, so I was brought in. And um, uh, Tyne didn't want me. Needless to say, she loved her last Cagney. Um, but she was very generous and accepted me. And the night before the reading, we had to do a reading in front of the uh, other, the rest of the cast and um, the cinematographer and the director and obviously our producer. And Tyne had the idea and we really didn't know each other. And she called me and she said, listen, you want to run over this script together before tomorrow? I said, absolutely. Thank you. And she came over to my house with another bottle of champagne. That was always sort of her symbol. And um, we opened up the bottle of champagne and proceeded to drink it and run the lines together. And we did it five times. She said, how do you feel? You want to go do it again? I said, yep, let's do it again. And she kept running it with me uh, until I got comfortable playing that role of Cagney. And again, it was her first time with this particular Cagney. Um, and so we went to the reading and we didn't tell anybody we'd done this. And everybody sat down with their scripts and all right, time for the reading, let's go. And we did it. And Tyne and I totally knew the other, knew what we were going to do. We knew how to respond to each other. Um, nobody had any idea what we had done. We rehearsed. And at the end of the uh, reading, our executive producer, the man who thought to put us together, stood up and he said, and that, ladies and gentlemen, is how it's done. <laughs> I love and that. Because you just hit it like, out of the yes. park. <laughs> oh, yes. we, well, we did. But they yeah. were all wondering, is this going to work? Because if this doesn't work, we got nothing. <laughs> and... Um, <laughs> And thanks to Tyne Daly, she had the idea to come over and rehearse with me. Yeah. Very wise. And, well, you... and, and from her, her, I'm sorry, her mother had a great expression. Um, I paraphrase the expression, but the expression is sweat makes a great cement. <laughs> and Tyne Daly and I sweat together for six years against all odds, thrown off the air three times called names because we were the first two strong women in the history of television. Mm -hmm. And we pulled it off. Yeah. Wonderful show. What, what were your first? And we changed TV. Yeah. Changed TV, changed the whole perception of these two strong women and, and women in general on TV. What, what were your impressions? Did you know yeah. that this was going to be a, a hit? Did you just really relate to the character what did you think when you first started looking into this show and first started oh, looking at that script? Paul, you give me so much credit. Paul, I turned down the role three times. What did I know? <laughs> Barney often says actors are not always the best judges of material. Um, uh, no, I don't think Ty nor I knew the power we were having when we were shooting it. Um, the first time I, I, I realized as, as we went along that there was no other show like ours. There, uh, we were the first two female leads in a drama series in any series. No, they had they had Laverne and Shirley and Lucy and Ethel, you know, but nothing in a drama where two women carried it. 
and it was about it was about their working relationship, not that they were best friends. They were um, they were colleagues. Their lives depended on each other, but they didn't hang out. You know, they didn't go to each other's houses and stuff. Um, we dealt with topics that had never been dealt with before: um, abortion, abuse in the workplace. We were talking about it then. Uh, breast cancer, date rape, raising kids, working, alcoholism. The the um, Cagney's alcoholism was the first time ever in television that a hero, meaning a lead in the series, ever fell from grace like that. But we, I finally realized what we had, or the impact I guess we'd had. We were... In, Tyne and I did that women's march uh, on Washington during the, uh, when Bush first, I think, got elected. And um, Tyne and I led with the banner with Whoopi Goldberg and Gloria Steinem, and it was very heady for me. And we did the big march, and then there we were at the Washington Monument on stage. And when they told Tyne and I just to go out, just walk out, they didn't introduce us. And I'm a little shy, despite all the kinds of roles I play. I, I am a little shy, so I walked out, not knowing what I was supposed to say to these amazing women. We didn't have to say anything. Paul, they started applauding and applauding and applauding and applauding. It was a standing ovation for like 15 minutes on the clock. And I just stood there saying, so this is what we did. This, this, this is what we did. This is what it's about. And I felt so proud later, you know, for all the work we've been putting in the years before. You talk about Christine Cagney as being a complicated character. You also felt really, very strongly that Christine Cagney not be a victim on the show and you, you, you kept saying that. And, and I wonder, was she, was she, was Christine Cagney a potentially a victim? Maybe tell us of what, and, and why did you feel so strongly about that character not being a victim? Because that must've been what led to many people there in that audience that day in Washington, DC relating to. Um, I, I didn't, I specifically didn't want Cagney to be a victim. I wasn't, I didn't want them to write writing episodes that were tragedies for her because I thought she was so tough and she hid her feelings so well and never refused to make commitments, wanted to be the first female police commissioner. And um, Barney used to come into my room saying, you know, you're never going to win the Emmy. Finally won the first three. And I said, yes, I will. He said, no, you won't. The blonde does not win in the dramatic category. I said, I don't care. He says, you say you don't want to be a victim. I said, I still don't. I want Cagney to be strong. That the mistake she makes are her own, but she's not a victim of somebody else. And um, anyway, as, as we got into the years, it was drawn to my attention that Cagney was the adult child of an alcoholic. And um, I went to Barney. I said, did you know that Chris Cagney is the adult child of an alcoholic? And he said, I 
it. She is the child of Charlie Cagney, who's a drunk. He said, but you're playing her. Those attributes you're playing are hers, are yours. I said, oh, well, okay. He said, you want to do it? You want to look at it? I said, um, he said, you didn't want to be a victim. I said, yeah, yeah, let's do it. And it it changed so many people. When he wrote the script, he called me in his office and he said, here it is and we're not showing it to anyone. Let me know what you think. I read it, I said, this is the most amazing writing I've ever seen on television. Who are you going to get to play it? I thought it is way over my <laughs> head, man. And he said, you're going to play it. You can do it. So it was rough. It was rough writing, rough uh, storyline. But um, we did it. And I, I won an Emmy for it. And it was tough, tough stuff. But, Paul, we had people calling in saying, I've asked my mother, my father, to please watch this show. I want them to see what they're doing. They're drunks. I'd have parents write in and say, we want our teenagers to watch this. We want to see the, the disease of alcohol. What's going to happen? Um, tons of people wrote in, women writing in, saying where they hid their booze, you know? And um, so it, it ended up really being, I'm so glad I did it because it, it, um, it taught a lot of people, gave a lot of people permission I still didn't know I was now called when I was doing them. That's a, that's another story, but it's in the book. It's in the book. Yeah, that's we got to sell some books too. So, so let, let's talk for a second. I I want to talk to you about your role as Debbie Novotny in, in Queer as Folk. I I'm the father of a of a gay son who I dearly, my wife and I dearly love this young man, and you were just an inspiration to so many, including me and my wife and all of us who who have LGBT children. And that role was very early. It was very early in all of this conversation that we were having and we're still having as a nation. And the show was just this smash hit. And here again, you made some changes to uh, perceptions and particularly the definition of family. Thank you. Yes, thank you. And you stated that the gay community saved your career, not once, but twice. And you're you're very humble about this subject. They did. Yeah. Tell us about that and about... Well, the, the Cagney, had, well, Cagney had a very large lesbian thought. Mm-hmm. Um, which was wonderful for our show. And um, then I was lucky enough to get uh, Queer as Folk. I went after that part. I really wanted it. And um, uh, Queer as Folk, I've heard later, or while we were shooting it, I, I would get mail or people would come and talk to me, saying that we saved their lives. Like one boy wrote saying, Thank you so much for putting this on the air because I don't think I'd be alive today if I hadn't seen that I'm not alone. There are people out there, you know, who are just like me. And he said, sadly, my best friend never saw your show, so he's gone. He ended his life. So just seeing, seeing that Showtime was so courageous in putting that on the air. 
And they didn't pull any punches. It wasn't a comedy. It was a drama. Some of it was funny. But uh, it, it did save lives, and it, and it educated parents as to what was going on with their children. Some people's favorite line, just tell me to stop, you know. Mm-mm. No, won't. <laughs> Some people's favorite line is out of Debbie Novotny's mouth. It was, it was written, not written by me. It was written by Ron Talon and Dan Littman. Um, the line is out of Debbie's mouth to another mother, the gay boy. And Debbie says, I had to tell Michael he was gay. So he didn't have to tell me. It's a great, great line. I didn't write it. I just got to say it. But I've had more people come and say that line meant so much to them. About being honest, you know. Sparing, sparing people the pain of having to go through it. Of having to go through and tell their parents. It, it is painful. It's painful for everybody. Yeah. But you do get through it. Yeah, just as an aside, quickly, you know, my son didn't even tell me or my wife. He told my mother first. He couldn't tell us. So that line, that Debbie Devotley line is is right on point and just so true. And Debbie Devotley was bold. She she must have meant a lot to you, too, throughout the portrayal. Uh, she did. I went after that part, as I told you. Um, and uh, mm-hmm. I just loved her. I learned so much from her. I signed on because I thought she was outrageous. And I thought the script was, I mean, I'm serious. (laughs) And I thought the scripts were outrageous. And 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 the sexies, Mm -hmm. they can't do that on television. And if they are, man, I want to be in on this one. (laughs) Right? It just seemed like he was such a life changer. I had no idea, though, Paul, what I would learn myself. I learned more from that character than I learned from any other character I've ever played. And I learned about the gay community and the plight of the gay community and what can be done and how you have to be more than gay to fight. You know, it's, these are our, our, these are our, our, our people, our mm-hmm. friends. And mm-hmm. now, I mean, color me scared. So, so much distance has been made, you know, in, in changing the world for the gays. And now we've got this new uh, Supreme court. So what's that mm-hmm. about? Anyway, so the fight never ends. Mm-hmm. Never ends. But I learned so, so much and more than any other character. And I'm there for the gays, always. Well, we're grateful for that. And we're, I'll tell you, we're grateful for all of the work that you've done. What's next mm-hmm. for you, <laughs> Sharon Glass? The book is doing great. You're going to well, write I don't again? No, I'm, yeah. I'm selling this. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if I could ever do this again. <laughs> it took seven yeah. years. Seven years, Paul, count them. Um, but I've, I've done nine series in my life. It's been brought to my attention recently. And Betty Ford has done 10. I mean, Betty White. I hope say Betty Ford is I'm talking about. Well. Betty White, one of my great idols, has done mm-hmm. 10. You write about her in the book. Mm-hmm. Yes, I do. I do write about her in the book. That's me mm-hmm. in the airport. Mm-hmm. Funny, funny mm-hmm. thing. Um, yes. At any rate, I found out recently that 
I've done nine and she's done ten. Well, I can't let that just stand. <laughs> you got to keep going. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm hoping the next one is in my future. Yes. Well, we hope so. We hope you'll come back and join us and talk. As I say, I could talk to you for a long time, but I know you're very busy. The book is wonderful. I just want to recommend it so highly. Apparently, there were complaints. Yes, the same to you, Sharon Glass. Happy holidays. I hope you and your family are all well and avoiding this. Yes, the best to you. Thank you for your time today, Sharon Glass. Thank you very much, Rob. You made this very pleasant. Thanks. My thanks to Omaha Steaks and Coinbase for sponsoring today's show. Check out our show notes for more details and please support our sponsors. My thanks to you, my wonderful audience. Please be safe, be well, and remember, let's talk about better. The Not Old Better Show. Thanks, everybody. See you next week.